This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. Hello, I'm Kellyanne Taylor and this is the Radio Times podcast. Every week I sit down with a celebrity guest from the world of TV or film to talk about their lives both on and off screen. To my fellow TV enthusiasts, I hope you enjoy listening. This week's guest is the nation's favourite PE teacher, Joe Wicks. Despite having built a successful fitness empire called The Body Coach, it was his YouTube workout videos that kept the nation moving during lockdown, which catapulted Wicks into national and global consciousness. In 18 weeks, he amassed over 80 million views. But despite his cheery, joyful and positive outlook, Life hasn't always been plain sailing. In this episode, Joe discusses how growing up in a household plagued by drug addiction has shaped him into the person he is today, and how finding fitness saved his life. The house was madness. School was safe and PE and sport was like my saviour. I always say, like, without that, I would have ended up, you know, probably down the park with the other kids, smoking weed, drinking graffiti and you know but I was like joining sports clubs I joined a gym when I was really young I, I I had this in me to just think right if I don't do this I will be overwhelmed by the fear and anxiety and like you know the, the stress of living in that environment. Plus we talk about the health tips that will help you make better choices this January. Joe Wicks welcome to the Radio Times podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me on your show it's, it's a pleasure we've got this beautiful view of London which is, is spectacular isn't it? I know it's so stunning so nice to do uh, an interview face to face as well. Um, we're going to talk about television firstly so tell me what is the view from your sofa at home talk me through your telly setup. I've got um, I've got a tv in my bedroom I'm, I'm not someone who like watches tv every single night but my bed's quite far from the wall, so we had to get a whopper of a TV, like, because <laughs> the subtitles, you know, if you watch, like, a Spanish a Pedro Almodovar movie, and, like, the subtitles, so I said, Rose, I've got to get a bigger TV, so we actually got a massive TV, um, so I've got my, like, bed, and I've got three kids, and what I love about my bed is when I moved into this house, they left the bed, and it's the most amazing mattress, <laughs> and it's a super king, right, so me, my wife, and my three kids can wake up, and I don't know they're there, well, I know they're there, but it's big. Enough space. Yeah, so then you've got the little kind of sofa in front of the bed. Um, and then there's the TV screen on the wall, which is huge. That's so interesting. So you watch TV in your room rather than in the living room? Pretty much, yeah, because we don't, more as crazy. a family, we're not a massive TV family. We're more like outdoorsy and sort of mm-hmm. more activity sort of. Play, we play, play like Dobble and Uno and all that sort of stuff. But when we watch TV, it's normally like in bed, we put the kids to sleep and me and Rose will watch um, a Netflix show or something. Um, we're watching um, the Squid Games thing at the moment, which is quite <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, the, the challenge. The challenge thing, yeah. Do you have similar taste, Rosie? 
Yeah, we, well, we like, we'd like a crime documentary. She loves a murder, you know, murder documentary. I like more like, yeah, real life stuff. So like, um, you know, like about the cartels in Mexico and that yeah. sort of stuff. And um, yeah, usually just the popular stuff that's sort of in, trending on Netflix you end up watching, don't you? Yeah, so true. Is there anything that you, it's a bit of a kind of TV turn off or any genres that you're like, that's not for me? I'm not really into like reality shows. I used to love, you know, back in the day, Big Brother, and I used to probably got stuck into the first Love Island back in the day. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm actually um, more of a. I'd rather just like watch a movie on Disney Plus. I mean, I watch it at Disney Plus with the kids because obviously they're into like yeah. Incredibles and Encanto and things. But yeah, we're not massively into our TV. I, I've got a guitar. Like sometimes I'd rather to do a bit of guitar or I'd do a workout or um, you know, we just sit as a family and play games and try and. I, I love bedtime stories. So if I can read ki the kids' books and help them fall asleep, I'd like to do that. And then if there's an hour left, we'll watch like an episode on, on, t on the TV. That's so nice. I think also as a child, if you have that ability to sit down with a parent and have a story read to you, like I have really, really strong memories of not even my parents, but my godparents. Like if I'd go for a sleepover at their house, reading me kind of like Enid Blyton or Harry Potter or whatever it was. And I think that quality time is so essential. Yeah, I, I think I missed out on that as a kid because I had a bit of a chaotic home life and it was just like, get to bed, you know, slam the doors and it was like, go to sleep. Whereas I think as a dad now, I really love that and cherish that time where we sit and we just, me and my little daughter, she's five and her reading's amazing. And it is because we put in the time, like every day we read without fail. And we read um, Roald Dolls The Witches in America. And we just went to see the show at the National Theatre. So like we brought that, we read, read the book, then we watched the, the old school movie, which is so good. And then I went to the show. So it's like bringing that to life. And I think reading is such a beautiful thing. It's such a, mm. it's a joy, but it's also a pleasure. And if you can get children to enjoy reading as kids, yeah. they take that through to adulthood. Whereas I'm not a big reader mm -hmm. because of um, because that. But Rosie, my wife, every night on her Kindle, every night <laughs> she reads herself to sleep. Yeah, she because loves it, it does. It's, it's really good. And like you say, it's a skill that I think, I think reading can become quite intimidating or something that you think, oh, it's boring or you associate it with all these things. Whereas actually, if you have that kind of entry to reading, it opens up a whole world and it stays with you for life, I think. Yeah, so I've read some great books. The things that stick out to me, I love autobiography, so true stories. Mm -hmm. the, some of the best books I've ever read is um, Andre Agassi, Open, which is the tennis player. Amazing oh. autobiography, like so good. Um I loved um, Lance Armstrong's, you know, it's not about the bike. Like, obviously, I've, uh, his career was a bit not as honest as it was, but I still, the book was amazing. Um, and that really inspired me to get cycling. And then the final one was Anthony Kiedis' Scar Tissue, the guy, the lead singer of um, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, those three books were, like, for me, pivotal because yeah. I, I could not put them down. That's so interesting. Are you a big holiday reader? Because I can't imagine you have that much time for reading. Well, I brought a book recently called um, Ultra Processed People. It's about, like, ultra processed food with the intention of like reading it on holiday. But you know, when I'm with my three kids, yeah. there's not a lot of free time. Mm -hmm. So I tend to just um, dip in and do a little, a little bit here and there. But yeah, it's taking, it probably takes me like six months to read a book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're doing so much at the same time. If you do have a snack and drink of choice whilst watching telly, what would it be? Well, I love, I love popcorn. So like, um, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll just pop our own corn, but if not, you know, a bag of like sweet and salty popcorn yeah. is great. Um, and I really love, um, I'm really into these, um, you know, those mochi ball things, <laughs> little moons. Yeah. yeah, I can eat six of them like that. <laughs> so I get them out thinking I'll have two. Yeah. And I look around and oh my God, I've eaten six. <laughs> Do you have any guilty pleasures with watching TV? Like anything, or comfort TV? I'll tell you what I loved and I didn't think I was going to love it. I watched the um, the Taylor Swift documentary, you know, and she's making the album out in the woods yeah. somewhere. Like, And I just, 
really fell in love with her. Like just her songwriting, her she's very talented. I I didn't see her as that before, but then watching that and seeing the actual the creative process and that she yeah. she wrote this album in in lockdown and. And then obviously you see her doing this world tour and you think, well, she truly is like a pretty amazing um, artist. I think also it's her her talent is just overwhelming, but the way that she writes is so tender and the lyrics really connect with people. And you've seen like suddenly the world kind of becoming obsessed with her because she was, she was always big, but I think in the last few years she's kind of... Well, I thought she was just sort of like, you know, pop breakup songs and a yeah. bit dram- dramatic, but actually, no, she writes really beautiful country songs as yeah. well. When you hear the lyrics, you realise actually she's got a proper talent for songwriting. Mm. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of a Taylor Swift fan. Um, <laughs> I also love the Ed Sheeran documentary on Disney was great. I've never seen it. That's interesting. I'm, I'm a fan of Ed. And also um, the Robbie Williams doc. I, I like things that are real, you know. Mm. I find it, I find like fiction quite difficult, but non-fiction, like true stories that's happened, yeah. I can get more engaged, I think. That's interesting because uh, something I was going to come on to you later, but you've kind of touched on it there. You obviously made your own documentary about your own childhood. And when you watch those celebrity documentaries, look, when I watch your documentary, you lay bare kind of everything. Nothing's left off the table. But sometimes I do feel when I'm watching those celebrity documentaries that they're not, it's not full access. And I don't know if if they're as strong if it's not full access. But when you decided to make your own documentary... How did that feel to kind of lift the lid and, and look at your own life? Well, thank you for watching. I'm really glad you yeah. got to see it. Um, it's really powerful. It's an emotional thing that even to watch, like to watch back was quite tough. But I suppose with that, it was about my childhood and my journey. And I was learning on the on the on the go, if you like, with the conversation with conversations with my mum and dad. So it was quite raw and emotional. Um, and we shared that as a family because I think if you can share a story, a positive story around addiction and overcoming that, mm. it's a positive thing because so many families live with levels of addiction and mental health issues and, and, and the relationships are broken and they find it very hard to repair them. Mm. And so carrying that as an adult is quite difficult. So it's like trying to learn to let go of the anger and resentment towards somebody. Um, but yeah, you know, when you're a teenager living with someone with addiction and there's constant relapses, it's so heartbreaking and it's so, you get so angry and you're so frustrated. But as an adult, I've become a lot more compassionate about my dad's addiction. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was received really well. People said, you know, it's opened up their heart a little bit and now they're speaking to their mum or dad a bit more and it's got them talking which is the most important thing I think. Yeah I thought I thought one thing that was really interesting when I was watching it was I think generationally something that is worth noting is that that kind of generation of your parents my parents perhaps weren't really well equipped with the language to talk about mental health in a way that you know in the last 10 years we've seen such a push to talk about mental health with those around us you know we, we understand more things about like anxiety depression uh, perhaps addiction a bit more and actually what you see in the documentary and especially with your mum you see that actually a lot of the struggles was from even just being able to communicate about what they were going through and you advocate a lot for mental health do you think that perhaps the language around it has changed and that we can actually now start to have those conversations and generationally we might be a bit quieter if you know what I mean like they might have found it more difficult because of stigma yeah I definitely think there's a stigma and also people were just sort of you know crack on, man up, you know, get on with it. Yeah. Or, you know, they're having a breakdown. You sort of thought, oh, it's just that time in a month and you sort of make jokes about it and things. But at yeah. the end of the day, you know, mental health is something that affects men and women at different stages of their life. And what I realised about my mum and dad's, you know, illness and, and addiction is that um, it stemmed from childhood trauma. So because they lived with certain things and experienced certain things, they they didn't tell me because, you know, as a parent, you want to protect your child and you want them yeah, to just have, a, have a, an easy, safe life. But really it kind of backfired in a way because it, it manifested in my mum's OCD, you know, real extreme, vigorous house cleaning every day of the of the, of the week. 
and my dad obviously turned to drugs and so I think um, from that experience I've learned that you've got to talk you've got to ask questions and when you bring the children into the conversation even if they're young and you talk about it in a certain way you can help release the, ease the burden on them because when you're yeah. a kid you think it's like your fault and you should be helping them and you're a carer mm. and you don't know what's going on so I do think that bringing children to conversation and being open is, is so much more positive for everybody. Mm. You release that kind of pressure from your mind. You're not living with secrets and things. Yeah. And yeah, I really think that was a positive part of the, doc- like a positive measure of the documentary was you can talk about this as a family and you can overcome these things and yeah. you can repair and build relationships rather than have destruction and resentment and anger. It can actually turn around and that's what's happened with my family. Yeah. Something that I find really interesting to reflect on with guests is how the view from your sofa changed from a child. So if you if you think about when you were maybe five or six, how your living room looked then versus how it looked now. And you grew up on a council estate in Epsom. Yeah. And now you live in in, you know, a, a beautiful house in Surrey. Can we talk a little bit about that journey? You know, and and perhaps reflect on I don't know, I know at one point you said that people had told your mum that you and your brothers weren't ever going to like become anything yeah. and you were, you were going to become drug addicts, et cetera, et cetera. Can we just talk a bit about that journey? Yeah, there was definitely like this stigma around, you know, we were from a house that, you know, you're in a council estate and people probably knew my dad was a drug addict. You know, the police would be coming around now and again. And, you know, we were just, it was a very shouty, loud, chaotic house, you know. So amongst different personalities and characters amongst the, in, in that kind of in, intense environment I'd say we were like the wrong ones if you like you know the family that were probably like up to no good and you know beg borrowing and stealing you know and I'd be knocking next door to borrow some sugar and some milk that was the way it was back then you know and but everyone looked out for each other but I think you know people did expect us to follow in the footsteps of our mum and dad like shouting swearing screaming getting in trouble with the police drugs and stuff but I think it really it really frightened me the thought of like doing drugs and trying that because I thought I was going to become an addict if I just tried it once so I was very frightened of it and you know, I think um, I'm really I'm really grateful for my experience. I always say, like, you know, my childhood shaped me. It gave me so much drive, so yeah. much ambition, so much passion and so much empathy for other people. Like, I love knowing that I'm helping other people on their men- yeah. with their mental health. From kids, you know, with, with schools and Pee with Joe to it's every single thing I do. Every day it's about helping other people. So I really think my childhood formed that kind of, that 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 love and compassion and empathy that I've got. Mm. So, again, it's like looking positive at difficult life, start of life. But I'm very grateful for, you know, when I wake up in the house I live in, I can't believe I live in this house. Because, you know, like I said, my bedroom really is like the size of my flat. So when I was a kid, I was living in this tiny flat. Um, so, yeah, I'm always grateful when I say to Rosie, and I'm so blessed that we've got a home where our children are safe. And, that yeah. you know, even today I, I do this thing, and I've talked about it in my book called Daily Gratitude Things, where mm-hmm. I'm not someone who journals and writes things down, but I sent a WhatsApp message to my mum and dad um, just saying, you know, I'm really grateful that today you know, my kids are safe, that I've just had a hot shower and that I've got sanitation and that, you know, I live in a, in a home that is safe for my family. And so little things I just remind myself because with what's going on in the world, it makes you really think about that, you know? Yeah, and it's so easy to lose sight of the things that we should be incredibly grateful for. And I think especially, you know, in the West where consumerism is so big, we can lose sight of, or we always, you know, the goalposts keep moving. We want more, we yeah. want a bigger house. And actually it's those things that if you can have safety and if you can have love and things like that, that that is what human happiness perhaps is rather than goal orientated. Definitely. I really agree with that. And I sent my, I sent the message to my mum, dad, my brother and um, Rosie. And 
you know, I don't expect to list back, but often they'll send their, theirs back, you know, and it anchors you in the moment. It's like, it anchors mm. me in today. Like, what am I grateful for? Because I've spent time, you know, in countries where they don't have sanitation, they don't have hot water. And you think, like, imagine waking up today and in the middle of December and it, and it being freezing cold. And so I think when you acknowledge these things and you just put them out, then one of the things was, I'm really glad and grateful that my mum and dad are still alive and I can still yeah. meet them and spend time with them. And it really does make you feel grateful and you sort of feel like, you don't look so far ahead or behind or what's going on in the world. It just sort of brings you back to, to your moment and what you can control. Mm. And I think sometimes with social media and the way the media is moving, yeah. I'm constantly looking outside, but really everything, happiness is inside, isn't it? Yeah. How did you get into fitness? Because I think something that is really good about your message and, and the body coach and, and also the feel good franchise in, in whatever form is that it really pushes the idea of physical and mental health rather than aesthetic. So I find it very difficult you know, on a personal level to go on social media and see, you know, a constant like weight loss, fat loss, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think something that is really good about your brand is it's about um, exercise for physical and mental health. Yeah. When did you start getting into fitness? Well, I'm really glad you've picked up on that that narrative because it has shifted. I think from when I first started out with, you know, with Lean and 15, it, it was more get in shape, fat loss plan. It was more mm. kind of physical. But I, as the years have gone on, I've, I really have shifted because I know what really motivates people is the mental health benefits of exercise and movement. And for me, you know, I, I had that ingrained in my mind and body about six or seven years old, because when all this chaos was going on, so when you're living with someone of addiction who's in and out of the house and you're banging heads with your mum and dad every day, you know, if I hadn't had school, like school was a safe time, right? That was like the easy time, if you like, because the house was the madness. School was safe and PE and sport was like my saviour. I always say like, without that, I would have ended up, you know, probably down the park with the other kids, smoking weed, drinking, graffiti, and, you know, but I was, like, joining sports clubs. I joined a gym when I was really young. I, I, I had this in me to just think, right, if I don't do this, I will be overwhelmed by the fear and anxiety and, like, you know, the, the stress of living in that environment. So I think because it's in my DNA, exercise is completely automatic. Like, I wake up, it, it, there's days I'm not in the mood for it, but it's automatic, whereas mm. the food part is harder. But I, th I think, you know, I try my best to encourage young kids. That's why I do the schools tours. I go to the yeah. primary schools because I know when I look into the crowd, there's kids that are probably going through similar stuff. Yeah. And I think if I can just get one of those children feeling positive after a workout, feeling more a bit calmer and a bit mm -hmm. more um, optimistic, then that's a really powerful thing to do. And so yeah. you've got to get children young. You know, it's really hard. You, know, yeah. you might have friends that are teenagers or adults that never got into exercise and it's very hard to get them moving. Yes. Whereas if you can get them young, I think that's the best time to um, encourage them, inspire them. And also, I think for young children, it's I think what's really interesting is, you know, exercise for us is go to the gym. You know, very, very rarely do you get adults playing regular sport or team sports in a way that you can at school so yeah. if you get into it and you get that love of it it becomes easier to bring it into adulthood or you prioritize it i think it's about just finding something that you genuinely get some level of enjoyment from mm. like if you hate hit training with me i would never suggest you get on my youtube channel and, and smash your body <laughs> and do all these burpees but you know you might find something a bit more gentle like yoga or you might find yeah. something um like a class in, or, or a running club there's always something but you've got to have some level of intrinsic motivation to do it yourself and that little sort of post-workout, I just feel a little bit calmer or I've boosted my mood or I'm not stressed at work. And that's what it is. It's just tapping into that and finding that and then going mm. in on that really as opposed to trying to force yourself to be a spin. Yeah. You know, don't go and join a spin class if you hate cycling. You're never going to enjoy <laughs> it. That's <laughs> so true. When your work is so much about physicality, 
like I said earlier about the kind of bombardment of media, do you ever find it difficult? Or does that pressure to look a certain way ever get to you? Uh, I definitely feel like, you know, not so much a pressure, but in terms of I know that I need to be in good physical shape to be able to generate the content. I'm like an athlete. I train so much. I film so many videos. And yeah. that's not just for my business. You know, the app's obviously a paid subscription thing, the Body Coach app, but actually... Beyond that is the YouTube channel, the Body Coach TV, which is completely free. So I'm always thinking, right, if I'm not in shape, if I'm not feeling good, you know, and even if I'm not sleeping and eating well, I don't have the motivation to be the body coach. Mm. So I have to sort of live the lifestyle in a, in a sense. And I like that because it keeps me on track. It keeps me in a good space. I think mm -hmm. if I didn't have the pressure to generate new content or just the desire to generate new content, maybe I would have a few months off and get out of shape and sort of think, oh, you know, I don't think I've got the energy I can... I might put my feet up now and just hire a new body coach to come in and do it. But whereas mm. I still feel like I'm leading the brand and I'm leading the mission because no one really connects like I am on such a large scale. It's so rare, isn't it, to, yeah. to have this moment where you can connect with three, four, five-year-old children and also grandparents. Yeah. It's so unique. And so just trying to maintain that longevity and, and still be motivated means I do have to stay physically strong mm -hmm. and mentally strong. And so I'm not someone who's always happy and energised. But I think the routine of just getting up and doing it and sharing it on stories and saying, look, I feel better, look how you're going to feel. And that, that real-time experience of me, like also having motivational loads, really helps other people as well. Yeah. And it's realistic, isn't it? Because I think sometimes the hardest part is turning up and actually you're always going to feel better afterwards. It's just about yeah. making that time or carving that time out. Yeah. Well, this morning I set the intention of doing a half an hour workout. You know, I jumped up, got on, was going to get on the Peloton, but I... I rolled around in bed and was like, I can't do it. Then I sat on the <laughs> toilet for 15 minutes and I was like, I'm ready, I'm going to do it. And I'd done a 15 minute Peloton. So although it wasn't a half an hour workout, I said, you know, it's better, it's something, isn't it? And it's yeah. movement and it's positive. And so that just got a lot of people this morning who saw that and said, Joe, thank you for sharing that because I've just gone and, done, you know, gone and done a 5K or I've just walked around the block a few times. And so I think social media is really powerful in that sense because it can really mm. create impacts. You know, I can share the recipe for a really wonderful winter soup at 4 p.m. and by 6 p.m. someone's making it and so yeah. I love the impact that I have on social media because I'm a positive energy and I get people moving I get people creating different changes in their life and so yeah it's not all bad is it social media's not all bad but there's definitely no. downsides no that yeah and that's right I think it's really interesting because you have such a overwhelmingly positive kind of outlook on life where you bring that energy and I know you're saying there are moments where you share you know maybe you don't feel the motivation but you as a person come across as incredibly positive and actually it's a reminder that there are nice pockets on the internet it's not all bad it's not yeah, all bleak good guys and there's some people sharing positive things yeah exactly how did you make it a full-time job you know, the um, not only social media, but you were a PT. Yeah. So I was working as a, well, I went to university to do sports science to become a PE teacher. So I really was on a path to become a school PE teacher. I thought I better try it's just it gone out. full circle. Yeah, path, I did go full it? circle. And that was my goal from the age of about 14. And I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I better just, chest, you know, test the water to check out. So I went and worked as a teaching assistant and it was so tough. I was <laughs> yeah, like in a, thrown into a really challenging school and I was like, I don't know if I've got the the patience for it like mm -hmm. I, I love children but I couldn't discipline them and I found it hard to be patient with them and so in there I was like this isn't for me and I, I obviously pivoted and went down the personal training route so I started out launching a boot camp in Richmond nobody came you know the story yeah. like, literally like no one came I kept flying out to the stations you know commuters just giving them flyers come along and try my boot camp and that eventually grew and I, I sort of kept turning up and then alongside that, sort of social media sort of was on the rise. And I kept seeing people doing like, you know, recipe videos and workouts. I thought, oh, it's amazing. You can have a video filmed in London and someone in Australia is doing your workout. Yeah. And it was just this little light bulb moment. 
So I started sharing those wacky Lean and 15 videos. You might remember them when you yeah. might have been at uni or something. Yeah. And I was screaming in the pan, you know, <laughs> wallet, bosh, in with a Lucy B. And that right there is Lean in 15. <laughs> I can't even do it now. My voice is gone. But <laughs> I, I started sharing those videos and then I just sort of thought, wow, I'm really connecting with people. I'm really mm. getting people cooking. I had this real buzz from that. And then then obviously with YouTube and the, and the workout content, I just sort of, you know, it picked up and it b- built traction and then it sort of, it went crazy after sort of a couple of years, well, probably five years of building and then it just sort of went a bit crazy. And yeah. so I shifted all my time onto, you know, digital online content. Okay, I gave the boot camps to a friend of mine. I said, oh, go on, you can run then. Now that's your business. <laughs> and um, just passed on my personal training clients. And then I went fully kind of digital and then launched obviously the books and I'm 12 books and this is my 12th book. I know, it's insane. 12 I've books, I've got so now. many at home. Have you? Yes. But do you know what's thank, really... Thank you. <laughs> But you know what's really interesting is actually we see it perhaps with social media is we don't see the years of graft that go in when, you know, everyone knows who Joe Wicks is, but we didn't know, you know, they don't know the the journey in terms of the amount of times you would have put a social media video up and it uh, maybe didn't go anywhere or it didn't do very well or the fitness classes that no one turned up to. We don't necessarily see the full picture. Yeah, you often just see sort of the finished product, right? Yeah. An album that's created or a video or pee with Joe and everyone thinks wow what a great idea what a smart marketing idea that was but mm. I was building that pee with Joe for like six years I was visiting schools I built the trust I went to hundreds of schools well not hundreds maybe tens of schools and so when I did go live teachers trusted me they knew I was going to deliver yeah. a, hel- a healthy fun safe lesson with no swearing and nothing you know that was going to be um, unsafe for the children I think so it was like the right moment and the right time, but really the build-up was a lot more, a lot, lot, lot of years of kind of yeah. building trust. Um, yeah, you know, it was tough in the beginning. Like anyone that starts as a personal trainer with a business card on the website, you've got no income, no, no clients, nothing. Yeah. If you go and work for a gym, obviously you've got a chance because you can sort of tap into the market there and you know ho- hopefully get some clients on the gym floor. But I went straight for like the the, the self-employed. I want to be on my own. I want to be my own boss, and I want to work when I want to work and you know, it's tough. You was up at 6am doing a boot camp. Then you'd be running around driving to people's houses, doing it in their garden in the freezing cold and then going to Richmond and Surbiton at 7pm for an evening session. So mm. very like long hours and it's tiring. And I'm just so lucky that I've managed to convert my business from like that physical one-to-one, you know, time for money. Kind yeah. of thing. Cause it's very, it's very tough to be that energized for that long term. It's quite a young mm. man's game. I think you can burn out quite quickly from that, but I love that I can just film a video at home and I share it on YouTube and two or three million people will do that. So yeah. that is amazing. And I just love that digital content collided with my time, really, and I can yeah. share it online. Also, you had, you know, you were already successful before the pandemic, but I guess COVID really kind of ricocheted you into national consciousness. And by that, I mean, obviously, we started seeing PE with Joe and you have all of these people at home tuning in for your exercise videos, but not only in the UK, globally. Were you prepared for that level of success? Did you think it was going to catch on like that? I announced the P with Joe on Thursday night when Boris obviously announced the um, lockdown was happening Monday. So between Thursday and Monday, I sort of shared it, you know, went online with it. And then, you know, basically like the media picked it up. So like the UK media and then it got a little bit of press abroad. But really it was like school newsletters and Twitter accounts. So the school would say, look, we're off school, Joe Wicks is doing these workouts, that's your PE lesson. So it's like in their curriculum, it's like enforced on them. So, <laughs> you know, and then so obviously the first day I went live, I jumped in front of the camera and there was 900,000 live streams. And the next day there's even more, but I think parents sort of heard about it and go, who's this guy? And what I loved about it, you know, I, I can meet really, you know, 
like affluent posh people from London who've done it and go oh, I loved your workouts Joe you know when I'm on holiday somewhere <laughs> and then I know like there's people it, it was any age any demographic any kind yeah. of you know income families from all over the country just had a little blast had a little go in their living room and I love that it transcended like class and you know do you know what I mean it was really lovely that everybody got involved even if for one session um, but I never had a, you know, never in a million years knew it was going to get 100 million views. It was ridiculous. I know. So you do it for 18 weeks. You hit kind of an unprecedented amount of views. It's blasted through the roof in terms of success. How do you feel when you get there? And, and by that, I mean, often we set these goals for ourselves and we say, OK, when we hit this target, we'll have made it. Or, you know, in our wildest dream, we can expect to do this. And then you hit that. Does it feel like success or does the goalpost then move? It was my dream to actually like engage children in exercise. So my vision was like, you know, get schools moving through some campaign, government campaign, like, I don't know, go down that route and, you know, the Jamie Oliver kind of method with the whole P, uh, school, school dinners thing. Yeah. And I thought it's going to take me 10 years to do that. And then suddenly there was this lockdown and it was like, what happened would have taken 10 years really took, you know, 10 days. But I, you know, I certainly didn't think at the time, like, this is massive, this is, like, life-changing, because I was so in the middle of it. I was so busy and so kind of distracted by the fact that I was just doing it every day. But when it ended and when I really stopped and sort of processed how how much it meant to people, how much, you know, impacted their lives, I really found it quite emotional because I read all these wonderful letters and cards that had been sent to me. And I felt a little bit flat when it ended because when you have so much purpose and you're, like, everyone save you and you're, you're there and you've got this amazing, like thing to get up for and everyone's like you know doing it and you felt I felt so in my element it almost felt oh like am I still useful now like now it's over am I still valuable to people but it took me a while to sort of recenter, and then I realized actually I'm not training with millions of people today but hundreds of thousands of people are still doing it, and that's positive so I sort of focused on that instead of the you know thinking oh it's over and I've had my moment and now no one needs me to do any help like I don't need I'm not needed anymore that was a kind of self-confidence thing I think yeah so yeah, it was like a bit of a um, a low, but I'm so proud of that achievement and it will be and always will be my lifetime's achievement. Like no award or business acumen could ever change, would ever be yeah. more impactful than that, that, that impact I had, I think. Well, I think also it's changing children's lives, isn't it? And like you say, especially in lockdown where it wasn't an easy time for lots of people, we were worried about children who didn't have access to school and you were thinking, yeah. are they going to get fed? With the cost of living crisis as well, that's ensued, we're constantly worried about the state of of the level playing field for children. But providing that, and, and I think you've also said this, that despite you know the books and the app, you do still create free content so that no matter who you are, you can have access to this. Yeah, I think it's a really important... Um element of my own mission but also the brand you know I, I don't want it to be this thing that's inaccessible and that you've got to buy a book or you've got to pay for the subscription for the app because my whole business and brand and everything all my success came from giving out free content the free Instagram recipes you know led to yep. a book deal the free YouTube videos led to a, a DVD and, and my app and all that amazing that customer base that really love that but ultimately like the North Star of the brand is you know fitness for all and it's accessible mm. so you know when I did build the app a lot I was spending a lot of money building the app a lot of them were saying you know you've got to stop doing YouTube, like you're going to cannibalize your audience. But I said, no, I'm never doing that. So even though I know I would have probably hundreds of thousands more paying customers, I still never do that. I still share a video once a week, like when I can, I'm not, in, I'm injured a little bit. So I've had to miss a couple of weeks, but once a week I'll post a video, you know, from beginner to workouts of Hey Dougie to senior workouts for people in chairs, you know, so I'm constantly thinking about the, the whole audience, not just yeah. one type of, you know, it's like guys trying to lose weight or girls trying to get in shape for summer. It's about 
it is about accessibility and we have workouts on there with an amazing deaf trainer i've worked with some i've done something with the parkinson's charity for some you know some workouts for people that are experiencing that so yeah it's about really trying to be really truly accessible and, and not just deviating from that because there's more money on the table with the app you know and i'm yeah i'm proud of that because it is easy to just get blinded by that and go well just double down on that and everyone just charge everyone and drive everyone towards that. But yeah. that doesn't sit right with me, you know? No. And I guess also because with the PE with Joe, doors opened, right? Yeah, definitely more opportunities came. And, they, yeah. you know, well, the, the first few days into it, they, I had BBC and Channel 4 ringing me up saying, can you come and stream it live on our channels? And I said, listen, kids in India and Thailand and Australia and like Dubai, wherever it was, can't see Channel 4 and BBC One, so I'm not going to do that. And I just stuck to it and stuck, stuck it on YouTube. Yeah. But they were definitely saw the um, they saw the viewers and they got their <laughs> eyeballs went and they went, oh, ka-ching, yeah. we'll get Joe on. But I said, no, and I'm so glad because I wouldn't have had 100 million views if I did it on BBC One or even if I did it on Channel 4. Yeah. Like, you might have got 10 million views, but there a lot of people would have missed out on it. Yeah, and also I guess sometimes you can lose sight of that. You know, in, in the moment you can see, oh, BBC want me or Channel 4, but actually you had the bigger brand and in the sense that you could reach an international level. Yeah, and don't forget, I was on my own with a camera smaller than that, you know, on a tripod. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, I'm producing it, I'm directing it, I can do what I want, I can share it when I want, and it can be used again and again, and it's it's evergreen, it's always there. And even now, like, millions of people still go back and, and do the videos. But, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I did that because it meant more people got a chance to do it. And also this element of, you know, if you were doing it with your mum and dad in, in London, you could also FaceTime or Zoom your family in um, Spain or Italy or whatever, and they could do it with you. Yeah. So there was this real sense of community and the fact that it was live and you could comment and get a shout out. You know, you wouldn't be getting that on Channel 4. Yeah. And I have a shout out to like, Susie in Southampton. <laughs> yeah. like, it wouldn't have happened. So I love the organicness of it. And just like mm. it was like we were all together in our living rooms. Yeah. It wasn't this produ highly produced thing. And it was it was so much fun. With social media, I saw in your documentary that you spend a lot of time kind of replying to direct messages and uh, engaging with your community and your audience. Does that also become difficult at times? You know, especially, I guess, post your documentary. Did that, perhaps you were getting messages that were very personal? Um, does that ever weigh heavy on you? During that time filming the documentary, it was very intense because I was, I was talking about the documentary and sharing my journey a little bit on stories. So therefore, like the content and the DMs coming in were all around people suffering with addiction, with depression, anxiety, you know, even suicidal thoughts. So like, I was getting bombarded with it and it was, I wasn't trained in how to deal with that. So it was overwhelming and I was probably spending sort of seven to nine hours a day on screen time, literally just trying to absorb and, and respond and, and, and give love and, and support to these people. It's definitely, I've got better boundaries now. Mm. I don't go to bed feeling like a failure if I haven't replied to everybody. But I still spend a good, say, three hours a day sort of on DMs because that's like my email inbox, if you like. I'd, yeah. I'd have an inbox of work going, oh, Joe, can you do this? But I'll get hundreds of email, or DMs saying, I need help with this. My child's got an eating disorder or I'm, I'm struggling with depression. Can you give me some words of encouragement? And so I usually send a voice note back to them. Like I'll flag it when I'm in the mood and I'm like, right, I'm ready for this. And I'll just do like an hour of DMs. And you wouldn't believe the impact that's had. I reckon I've, I reckon I've saved a few lives doing that. Yeah. You know, not, not in a sense that they've been on the edge, but just like I've got them doing positive things and suddenly their lives have turned around. Yeah. And then like, I love it when I see like a year on, they're doing like a personal training course or they've set up a, a Facebook page and now they're like getting all their family and friends like to 5K park runs and stuff. Like I love that. So I, 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 I'm, I'm addicted to that. I, I'm, of all the things I do, you know, even like book sales, 
app subscriptions, YouTube followers, you know, AdSense from you. Like what really, really makes me smile, and I do this with my brother Nicky, is read DMs and reply to people and connect with that. Like, you know, mm. the proper like the human connection. That's what that's what keeps me going, I think. Yeah. You know, because I could easily slow down. I've got three kids and I don't need to be doing yeah. this now. Like, but something drives me. And I do think it's that. I think it's that that I'm having an impact on positively changing people's lives from, you know, kids to teenagers and adults. And, I, and I'll keep doing it until I run out of steam and I, I don't and I don't connect like that. But because it's so it's so it's happening every day. Mm. It's very addictive. You know, when you're being so um, you're having an impact on people's lives. Yeah. Where do you think that empathy comes from? Well, I think it's my childhood. I think it's I've always been a carer. So if you think worrying about my dad, is he going to relapse, trying to hide that from my mum and like protecting him and caring about him and I still now I'm his dad I'm his dad I am my dad's dad right and I'm always worrying about him always protecting him always ringing him up um and so I've always been his parent really I don't know if he'd be okay with me saying it but I do feel that's I do I do feel that's true um and so and with my mum you know whining about her she's been up and down with her sense of confidence and you know just picking her up a little bit and so now we and even myself as a child I'm caring for myself sort of thing so I have this feeling of like it feels good to help other people, and some people don't have the tools and the kind of um, the the ability to look after themselves and pick themselves up. Yeah. And so when I do that, I think yes, that's a win. I love that, and I think well, I've done that today. I can do it. Maybe I can do it tomorrow as well, and do it ten times, you know, and maybe a hundred times. But it's just connecting that, isn't it? If I disc- that's why you know, if I hired someone to run my social media and just mm-hmm. film the videos and just shared it and like completely pulled away. I'll definitely lose that sense of like, am I really having an impact or is it just about numbers, you know? Yeah. So I still do it. It is me, like, and it isn't AI. It's my voice, it's yeah. me. Um, and yeah, that's, I suppose that's the reason I think people feel connected to me. Because mm-hmm. if you messaged me every day for five days, I would get back, I would eventually see it and get back to you. Yeah, it's crazy. And there's not many people you can probably say that about because everyone's no. probably got someone running it. And But I love it. I love it. So this is really not just about the food and the workouts. It's actually all about those lifestyle hacks, all those little daily yeah. motivational tips that I live by, you know, ranging from the WhatsApp gratitude to, you know, taking a walkie-talkie, which is can you take a Zoom call without the face? Can you just take it on the call and have a, have a, have a walk? And so things like that that we do as a company and I do with my family. So I say, look, let's have a walkie-talkie and, you know, we're out walking. Oh, it's on the phone, but... You're getting fresh air, you know, you're, you're yeah. winning You're winning a little bit of movement whilst connecting with your family. So things like that. I talk about, you know, story time with the kids. You know, it's an essential part of um, happiness to feel a close bond of your children. And so even if you are busy and stressed out and you've, you've been at work and they've been on the iPad or PS5, that's fine. But put it down and have 10 minutes of reading before bed. Yeah. Well, well the goal's 15 minutes, about 15 minutes of the goal. Yeah. Things like cold showers, um, playing music, learning an instrument, being creative, you know, all these little things. You might think, well, how does that make me feel good? But it does. It does make you feel good when you stop, put your phone down and mm. read a book or listen to a podcast or, um, you know, like this, <laughs> or you you pick up an instrument and just fiddle around with the guitar or you do something like These are the things that I do every day that really pick up my mood. Yeah. I talk about sleep routine, you know, getting to bed a bit earlier. So about, um, you know, mobility, m- mindfulness, meditation. There's loads of hacks. I call them health hacks. Okay. And they are so powerful when you do mm. them. And I think also the really good thing about saying it in 15 is I think often we find it really hard to prioritize ourselves or to find time for ourselves. Um, and 15 minutes maybe is more manageable. Yeah, 15 minutes is like that golden. I, f- I feel it's just a really manageable, realistic number. If you said feel good in 60 yeah. No one's going to get that or feel good in 45. But actually, if you if you just believe that, you know, I can find 15 minutes and mm-hmm. 
when you're single or you've just got one partner in a house and you've got just you and your partner, it's quite easy to find 15 minutes. But when you've got three kids, your life becomes about stopping them from fighting, <laughs> keeping them warm and well-fed, changing their nappies, you know, putting them in bed, cuddling them, making them feel wonderful and safe and calm. And it's very draining doing that. So when it comes to like bedtime, you're like, I've got nothing left. I've got nothing for myself. And that's why, you know, parents struggle to exercise and mm. we get broken sleep and we don't want to exercise and we want to just eat to feel better and we, we crave comfort foods and things. So the big part of the book is about sleep and the importance of that. But yeah, 15 minutes isn't going to transform your body or your life. But if you did one thing today, tomorrow you might do two, then the next day you might do three, and then before you know it, you're doing 60 minutes a day of four different things, yeah. tiny little things that genuinely put you in a positive headspace. And mm. you might not be losing weight, you might not be feeling great in the mirror, but mentally you might be feeling a bit better about yourself. Yeah. It's and a you... commitment to yourself as well, isn't it? Even yeah. just for 15 minutes, it's about showing up just for you. It's a commitment to yourself and those around you because, you know, it's like... You can feel close to your mum because you speak to her every few days on the phone, but, you know, are you really making time to connect? Are you meeting? Are you doing face-to-face stuff? Are you getting outside with the kids and being away from the screens and the devices? Or are we just sort of using WhatsApp and TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat to to communicate and feel close? Because humans need to feel and connect and cuddle and touch and stuff. So I talk about, you know, getting together with your family and, and making it a priority to just, like, once every now and again, you bring everyone... If you're, the like, the glue, if you like, you bring everyone together and you're all going to leave that dinner or that kind of, you know, cinema trip, feeling better about yourselves. And so these are things that, you know, someone who isn't motivated or is going through depression is just going to get you out of that a little bit. It's going to bring you back to um, your your family and your your tribe. What are your three things that you do to make you feel good in 15? So the first one will always be exercise. Nothing will shift your mindset more than exercise. Um, You know, I believe that and I think science proves that now. Second thing I would say is probably the cold water therapy. So I've got... um, I'm lucky to say I've got an ice bath, but you can actually do this now with just a cold water, like a cold shower. And you think, oh my God, I would never get in a cold shower. And I used to hate the cold because I was born with croup and I've always got, in the winter, always would be tight chest, always feel unwell. But since I've been having the um, ice bath, I, don't know, like, I feel like I've got a stronger immune system around the cold because I can deal with the cold on my chest and my throat and I don't get phlegmy. I feel it clears me almost. So the cold therapy is amazing for your energy, but also your mental health and just clearing your mind. And the third thing I would say is the sleep routine. You know, I used to be really bad. I'd be on my phone, it'd be in the bedroom. You know, that that affects your relationship with your partner because you're just both on your phone. It affects your sleep because you pick up in the night and you end up on Instagram doing DMs. I would do DMs at 2 a.m. Like if I'm in a message and it was this really, you know, wonderful message or really intense message, I'd be like, I've got to reply to that because if I don't, I'm gonna it's gonna get lost, you know. So having my phone out of the bedroom and having a better sleep time routine where I leave the phone and I you know, get in bed and just sometimes watch TV or sometimes read a, read a bit of a book or sometimes just listen to, um, we, we, you know, just Rosie, we just chat, you know. So that helps me fall asleep sometimes as well as opposed to yeah. the phone, like, winding me up or the anxiety from Instagram and social media. So they're my three things, I think, that really yeah, keep me on made track. made a difference. Yeah. Well, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the Radio Times podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, what are you going to do to feel good in 15 today? I'm not going to take a cold shower, but I am going to go for a walk because it's a very nice crisp day there you go walkie talkies are the way forward walkie talkies exactly good luck thank you if you enjoyed this episode you might like to listen to my interview with jamie oliver or my conversation with radio host roman kemp both episodes can be found by scrolling back through the radio times podcast feed
Thank you for listening to the Radio Times podcast with me, your host, Kellyanne Taylor. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please do follow, rate and review wherever you get your podcast from. It helps other TV and film lovers find us. Until next Tuesday, happy viewing. <laughs>